Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And on today's episode, I am honored to have a fellow Kayleen. There's not many of us around, so this is a pretty rare opportunity. And Kayleen Milner is the founder of Wawa Australia. We actually connected on Instagram when I purchased one of her uh, jumpers as a collaboration that she had done with another Kayleen, Kayleen Whiskey, who is an Indigenous artist here in Australia. So it was pretty cool to uh, to have two Kayleens creating a jumper and then be able to wear that. Um, but I caught up with Kayleen. I love her brand. It's a uh, niche jumper, knitwear jumper that's in collaboration with artists, musicians, uh, made to order, and yeah, very much a part of who Kayleen is and what she's passionate about, the brands and the people and her ethos as a person. So it's a really cool business model. The jumpers are made to order. They're all in collaboration. Um, Yeah, very high quality knitwear as well. Um, But I love this conversation because Kayleen shares her journey from, you know, going to fashion school, starting her own label, and then moving away from that and moving into creating Wawa from a place of what she was passionate about and allowing the time for that idea to get clear starting small and just building it as she goes and making sure the brand is in alignment with herself and her passions and what she believes um, but also um, with a sustainable growth that is in alignment with the lifestyle that she wants to live and she's an incredible creative musician woman of many talents and has lots of incredible insights from her time in fashion, um, but also as a teacher in this space as well. So anyone looking to start their own fashion label or build in some their ethos and their personal story and what they stand for into the brand, this is an incredible startup story and so much wisdom in there as well. So Tune in, have a great listen, and be sure to check out the Kayleen Whiskey Collaboration Jumper, but also heaps of other ones on the Wawa website. Looking forward to hearing what you think, guys. Welcome to the podcast, Kayleen and fellow Kayleen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you actually know where your Kayleen name came from? I've been meaning to ask that. I have no idea. Um, I think my parents think they made it up, but <laughs> clearly they're not that original. We even have the same spelling because some people spell it double E N. Yeah. Um, it's so wild because, like, I hadn't met another Kayleen until recently and in the yeah. space of a month or two, I now know three. I know. It is a very rare name. My I was named after my dad's cousin. Randy okay. <laughs> was she also a Kayleen? Yeah, she's a Kayleen. <laughs> I think mine was a mashup because they couldn't decide. Right. Yeah. Well, here we are, two Kayleens on a podcast. Uh, nice to have you. So founder of Wawa, but let me, maybe we can kick off and you can introduce yourself and your business and yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, so I run a knitwear label called Wawa Australia um, and I have been doing so for a bit over five years now, um, I think. Gosh, the time is just, just <laughs> uh, 
but basically, in a nutshell, um, the brand started with me collaborating with punk bands and artists on the graphic design of, at the time, Australian-made knitwear, um, just celebrating music and culture and, um, yeah, through the form of merino wool knits, um, particularly sweaters. Yeah. Which, which sounds I'm like wearing. a niche business, which I guess it is. But um, yeah, it 100% is niche, but it's a vibe. And it's like, you really spot them now. You're like, that's a wow. <laughs> You've created a brand. But I'm keen to hear, we'll obviously dive into more of that. But tell us what you're doing pre Wawa and um, yeah, your career leading up to it. Well, I mean, ever since graduating high school, I've sort of been straddling both music worlds and design um but in terms of what I wanted to pursue for a career I found myself wanting to go more the design uh path and sort of keep music as my escapist escapism fun hobby um but I actually started studying at the conservatorium of music um <laughs> doing wow music research before dropping out when I realized like oh Nah, this isn't creatively fulfilling. I really liked it, but um, mm. decided to make the switch to fashion design. What, um, was your, what was your musical instrument of choice? Well, I was there just for research, but I had also been accepted in to do uh, to be a classical trumpeter. <laughs> there you go. You go? <laughs> um, yeah, so I switched to fashion design, thinking it would be fun and easy and relaxing and it it can be but it it wasn't um it was a really challenging but stimulating course where I studied I really really loved doing that um and then when I graduated I showed at Australian Fashion Week my graduate range and got a bit of interest from that and um you know there was a bit of buzz and a bit of press which is always exciting when you're a new designer Mm. um but I also at that time, I won a scholarship to go to New York. So um, packed up and left for New York and then did the sort of year of not knowing what to do overseas and sort of floundering about uh, interning. Um, and when I came back, I decided to start my own label. And it may have been a little bit because I just didn't know what else to do. Um, so I started a namesake label, um, Kayleen Milner. And did that for a couple of seasons. And, um, yeah, I don't know how much you want to delve into that. Yeah. um, How did did it go? Well, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I I was making some nice clothing. Like it's really, it's it's such a big shift when you come out of fashion school where you've got uh, no limitations on creativity and what you can make. And it's all about just like exploring how far you can go. And then you step into the industry and you've got to be, so practical and find manufacturers and there's so many moving parts. Um, so, I mean, it was pretty, like in hindsight, I think it was pretty courageous or maybe a bit naive to try and do that without financial backing, um, mm. just sort of backing myself with my savings. Yeah. Um, was it a big expense? Like did you have to throw a lot into it? Um, no. It, I mean, at the time it seemed a lot to me, um, but I was I never got far enough with that to be happy with um, who my manufacturers were and um, building up those relationships. So it was like real early days. It was more about just like creating an aesthetic and trying to get a bit of press and selling a few of the items. 
Mm. Um, sorry, my dog was fine. Right. then. That's <laughs> so fine. Real life. Um, yeah, so I think it was very much in hindsight. I mean, this is sort of like already jumping into here's my advice. Yeah. But <laughs> Go, give me all the advice. I mean, I was, you know, so fresh out of graduating. Um, How old were you, can I ask? Well, I wasn't that young. I was 25, um, but, you know, completely new to the industry. And I was getting a fair bit of press and um, I kind of felt a bit of pressure to like, well, I'm getting this press. I've got to act now. I've got to start something because now's the time. Now's the chance. There's there's momentum. Like, and it's really funny. Like you get these headlines like um, the next Dion Lee or the next big thing and then and at the time you're like oh am I um maybe maybe I should do this don't want to you know the people want it and then like you know five years later I'm like oh that's just such lazy journalism (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) all of the headlines say that and then you're like ah I mean maybe one or two are genuinely excited about what you're doing but for the most part there's a lot of uh lazy journalism I'd say so um but at the time I was like oh I've got to got to take uh take this opportunity and run with it even though I probably wasn't ready for it Mm. did you feel like you would you could still had the design freedom in that space or was it did you have to like pivot into designing for you know trends or whatever I don't think it was so much designing for trends but more so designing for what could be viably manufactured yeah um because what I was doing beforehand had a lot of hand work I was doing leather carving and smocking and embroidery and all these beautiful hand done techniques um so I had to then make it more commercial um Mm. but not so much I mean there was always an awareness of trends um more so than now (laughs) I don't really Mm. follow trends at all now but um for context the year I spent in New York I was actually working for a trend forecasting agency for some of that so um you know, I did have a bit of experience in, you know, trying to make sure what I was doing aligned with um, sort of what was happening in the high-end fashion world. Mm. Yeah. Did In that part, do you think that like if people listening, a lot of people either come for coaching or, you know, on Instagram are looking to, to start their own label. Um, do you think that the experience in New York is worth it? Like would you recommend people to do that kind of you know, interning and things before getting into it themselves? Yeah. I mean, I I think interning is really invaluable. However, for me, it wasn't probably in the way you'd expect. It made me realise what I don't want to do. Um, Like straight away, like the first internship I did was at Diane von Furstenberg, DBF, um, Mm -hmm. which is a, you know, huge American label. Um, And I hated it. It was so depressing. (laughs) I mean, the other ter- interns were loving it, so I think that's more a reflection of me just not being suited to it. Um, but I just, it just wasn't fulfilling to me. Um, just the way, maybe like if I'd stuck it out longer and, um, you know, as you progress, I guess you get a bit more design input. But I was used to just having so much cre- creativity and freedom and doing everything myself. And then I just, uh, I got there and I was like, oh, what am I doing here? Like, this is such a waste of everything I've learned. But in hindsight, I got to see how a large business like that operates. And it was pretty slick in um, like all the different sections, how they communicate. So, I mean, at the time I sort of took it for granted, but it was a good experience. Um, 
but yeah, I just knew I didn't want to work for a big design company. Mm. Um, and then I, well, there were all sorts of complications with that. As well. <laughs> I don't know how deep you want to go into that, but there was visa issues Prada. and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> scholarship right. issues. So it was all like, it was quite challenging. But well, then I started um, the internship at the trend forecasting agency and I actually really enjoyed that. And after a couple of weeks, they offered me a job, which was really lovely. Um, so, yeah, the second internship I loved and I actually got so much out of that one. Um, which, mm. I mean, not necessarily skills I've applied to my business, but um, for the last, well, until a year and a half ago, I'd also been teaching fashion design um, at the same place I studied. And I found those skills really helped um, helped me as a teacher. Yeah, right. So you, so you came back to Australia, you did your personal label. Um, how long did you run that for? Um I only produced two seasons, so it was probably like only a year and a half, to be honest. Um, But I had a little studio set up and um, trying to do six monthly collections. Um, Yeah, it was a lot to dive into. Um, Mm. What we'd learn at fashion school, like the the business models we looked at were um, more established brands. And so you're kind of taught that you have to do at least two collections a year. You have to have all these product offerings um yeah at which if you're that sort of business I guess you do but we weren't really shown alternate business models um so I think mm. a lot of fashion design graduates have made this mistake um I'm, I'm finding less so recently because there's a lot of little niche micro businesses popping up like DIY businesses because you can just run it on Instagram so that's been really cool to see but I think my generation um, and the years before me who came out and tried to start labels, maybe one in 50 had any longevity for that reason, Mm -hmm. like trying to model themselves on bigger companies. Um, And you just burn out. You're one person with a limit, well, usually a limited budget. Um, It's such a shame because these graduates are coming out with these amazing design skills and they'd show one collection and everyone would get so excited about it but just couldn't follow up afterwards. Mm. And I think that, like, you're probably right in saying you definitely have seen a shift towards, you know, smaller businesses that are not following the fast fashion trends. And then also sustainability has become a big thing uh, around, um, you know, brands producing more ethically and and not just for the sake of keeping up, you know. Yeah, which I think small brands can have an advantage with that. It's it's easier for a small brand to establish themselves with sustainable practices than a big brand who hasn't been doing that, trying to then rein themselves in and reassess their entire business model. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a nice time for. In, like, yeah, and I think it tell like just observing it now and thinking of your brand and a few others that I know it. it you know, you're getting founders or, you know, designers who actually, you know, have uh, the funny thing is the number of designers or great brands that I speak to now who have come from that fashion world and gone, great, now I want nothing to do with it and I'm going to create <laughs> something completely different. So many. <laughs> um, we've had a few of those stories on the podcast. Um, but I think it's also like a reflection of, you know, more of a conscious consumer and founder who is looking at ways to to do it differently but also create good quality and I think that's what I love about your brand as well is that it's 
designed to last, right? Like you you kind of get your Wawa and then it's like, you know, one day my kid will be wearing this, hopefully. Oh, I hope you know? so. <laughs> yeah. That's my dream. <laughs> I'm going to make them wear it in their school photos, my <laughs> mum's name on it. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, so um, we'll get into that more, but I'm keen to hear. So you, um, what, what was it the moment like for you? Because I think I, I meet a lot of different creatives and it's interesting that you went from like, do I do music or do I do fashion? And then also like doing fashion and then closing that brand or, or walking away from it. Um, I see that a lot with creatives who have lots of different ideas, um, will probably always have lots of different ideas and passions and, you know, creative outlets. Um, when did you know to the, the timing was right to walk away? Well, I think I subconsciously knew it wasn't working or I wasn't satisfied from it. And then that sort of coincided with uh, a huge shift in my life where I broke up with a partner of eight or nine years um, and he had been helping me financially a little bit, you know, just helping with the rent and stuff so I could pour my money into the business. And I think I used that as a bit of an excuse, which is, you know, <laughs> it was more, I, I felt like I was letting down my PR agency who were so lovely and represented me pro bono. So I, I think I was relieved. I'm like, oh, great. I've got this excuse now why I can't keep doing it. Um, whereas if I'd had more agency over what I was doing, I would have just like sat down with them and said, look, I don't think this is sustainable. Um, but yeah, that, that was the moment. Um, and it yeah. was a huge relief. Um, yeah, so then love I a, love a good breakup in the middle of a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, luckily it wasn't, it was such early days that it didn't feel like it would put me at a, like, I wouldn't be financially stressed by stopping. It was probably like, um, yeah, better to do it yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah, yeah. The breakup sure. of the business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been there before. Um yeah. Okay. And it, was it, so it felt like a relief. It was like an easy enough process to walk away from. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think my heart wasn't in it enough or I just, I mean, it was, it was really, really hard um, operating by myself and long nights at the studio. Like I'd find myself there till midnight by myself in industrial Marrickville and then, mm. and you kind of get used to that. But when I stepped back and looked at it, I'm like, oh, this isn't that healthy. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so what, what was the process after that, letting go? And did you, yeah, did you obviously went into teaching, but what was the timeline in between the two? Um, I think it was probably only a year of not having my own brand. And, like, I really missed having something to focus on. Um, like. I think having a brand and creating a brand, like that that's the most fun part, the planning and coming up with your branding and a new idea and how it would work. Like it's just when it comes to you and you're excited about it, it's just like the best feeling. Um, and so, yeah, I think I probably had about a year off and then I was like, oh, I've got to do something. But to be honest, it wasn't that I was creating a business or a brand. It was more like a branded project, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like I didn't... I. I wasn't counting on it to turn into a full business. It was just something I felt compelled to do because I just thought it would be so much fun. Um, mm. Yeah, so I actually love that. 
Yeah, because there's, I think sometimes we put so much pressure on an idea to have to then be this big, crazy business or, you know, people, you know, love a creative project and they're like, cool, I should make money from it. And sometimes that can kill the idea. <laughs> yeah, I think if I'd had that in mind um, from the beginning, it it wouldn't have lasted. <laughs> um, but because I knew that it wasn't my main income, it was just something that it gave me a reason to keep designing. And I, I really love producing garments, um, if they're beautiful garments. Like the thought of doing, you know, I hate fast fashion and um, I don't want to just produce any old garments, but the thought of creating something that I really love and cherish, that I get a lot of enjoyment from that. So it was more to just fulfil that need while I was teaching and that was my main income. Um, yeah. But it was also, I think, it really coincided with this whole sort of resetting of my life, um, going back to what gave me a lot of joy when I was younger, which was like uh, collecting albums and reading comics and stuff like that. So I think I regressed about 10 years uh, (laughs) (laughs) just while it was kind of like, you know, finding yourself again, but it was also a reason to, I guess I had sort of moved away from my social circle, um, like everything was new at that time. Um, and I think, I mean, I, I might be prescribing more meaning to this than it actually had, but, um, like it was a reason to reach out to musicians and artists and feel connected in a way that I could, because I wasn't playing in bands at the time, um, like I had been previously. So it was just a way of staying connected really. And then mm. channeling it into this fun project. You know, I think I tuned into an Instagram live you were doing the other day and you said that saying something about used to write fan mail. Oh, I, well, <laughs> I was saying I had done it only twice in my life. I don't want you to think I'm a serial <laughs> fan letter writer. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I was just like sort of reminiscing on the fact that, um, you know, one of the most recent collaborations I did was with the Raincoats who have been one of my all-time favourite bands and I really respect and look up to them. Um, And I'd written to them when I was a teenager in high school and they actually wrote back. This was in the MySpace days. Um, And so I was just sort of like, oh, wow, like sort of history repeating itself. Like this isn't the first time I've reached out to them and it's kind of, yeah, because the brand is very much about me sort of reaching out to people who I admire. um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so who was the first brand that you did? Like what was the, yeah, the idea? And also like I'm keen to hear like obviously the idea of the knits and, you know, it's actually quite a simple business model. It's like there's one, one style of jumper. Is it all the same? Well, I mean, they, they've evolved yeah. a bit, but, yeah, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, and then just different patterns and then it's also just such a brilliant idea with the collaborations and tapping into, you know, um almost cult followings, you know, that's what brand, bands really start to get. Um, but also it's not a band, you know, most band merch is like, you know, uh, screen printed tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what this, what was the first brand and then how did, how did that process go and how, what did you, well, how, yeah, get it off the yeah, ground. Yeah, so the, the very first band was the Sydney punk band, The Hard-Ons. Um, and, like, I'd had this idea for doing punk knit sweaters since I'd seen a photo of Jane Maskus from Dinosaur Jr. in a book by Michael Azarad. 
Um, and I'd read that in high school and I just like, I think that image had stayed with me, just that concept of um, taking something that would usually, like you said, a screen printed T-shirt, um, but like taking the care and time and dedication to bring it to life in a knit. It's it kind of it's kind of funny because it's it's not really very punk. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about that um, that clashing of cultures that I, just really appealed to me. But I um, yeah, I reached out to Ray, the bass player from the Hard Ons. Um, and he's an amazing illustrator. Like through really- Instagram or email? Uh, I actually knew him because I, I had played in bands in the past mm. and um, uh, we'd played on Bills together. And um, so I knew him enough to get in touch Yeah, and told him my idea. I was really nervous about it because, like, you know, I guess it's the first time reaching out and you just need someone to like get behind the idea. But, you know, maybe they'll be like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, yeah, that's that's awesome. Like, I, I love that idea. And he was so happy for me to run with it. And um, we negotiated like licensing. So I sort of set up that model from the beginning, because I wanted every band or artist to be paid um, for their contribution or their intellectual property or, you know, um, and it's, you know, it's definitely me tapping into their following. Um, so I did that. And I found a manufacturer in Sydney who they do more um, corporate knitwear manufacturing, like school uniforms and, um, yeah, corporate vests and stuff like that. But the machines had the capability of doing so much more than that. So I sampled it and I got the first sample back and it, like, because at the time I hadn't really seen anything like it and I, I got really excited about it. I'm like, this is so cool. It was one of those moments where you sort of get uh, goosebumps because you're like, yeah, I'm onto something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was funny. Like I, I did a few styles in the first run. I think it was uh, the Hard-Ons, Ben Montero, King Gizzard before they became huge and unaccessible. Um, <laughs> and was there another one? And the Meanies who are a Melbourne punk band. Yeah. And again, the Meanies, um, I'd been seeing them play since I was younger and knew, knew them enough to ask. Um, so I wasn't a complete stranger. Um, yeah, and it was really, when I launched it, um, it was just such a whirlwind because I was, <laughs> um, I was on such a tight timeline because the day I was launching, um, was the same day I had to fly overseas to go on a tour, um, uh, mm. with a, with a brass band, um, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not. Um, yeah, uh, these hidden skills, um, <laughs> That was oh, that was actually another little bit of income on the side playing, um, playing in that band. It was a paid position, which is pretty funny. Yeah, um, such a creative. Just always got so many things on the go. Oh, I did. I'm trying. I'm trying not to at the moment, but it's not working so well. <laughs> I'll get to that later. Um, yeah. So, so with I, that, sorry, you yeah, go. I was just gonna say with that process. Um, did you, I mean, I think for uh, for people listening, I think it's a really great business model for or just tip from a point of view of, um, you know, reaching out to people that you know or that are accessible, right? It's like I think a lot of people, especially with collaborations, set out to just like go really big. But it's like when you when you just start with your network and where you're at, yeah. some low-hanging fruit, right? It's been very much like sort of, yeah, uh, stepping stones. It's not like I'm trying to climb the ladder of getting to bigger and better artists or anything. It's not not like that at all. It's just more about building trust, like 
one artist may have seen that I've done these other ones, they're like, oh, well, that turned out well, or they respect those brands or bands or artists, and it's sort of grown from there. Um, but And how involved were the artists in the design process? Like were they just like, yeah, cool, do whatever and we'll approve it or was it? Some of them were, definitely. Uh, And then others have been like really back and forth, which has been like that's a really fun way to do it. It's it's slower. But um, like, for instance, one of the designs I did with um, Mr. Joe Johnson, who's an illustrator based in Hull in England. Um, It's, yeah, it's funny. I actually got in touch with him or he got in touch with me just as like a fan of the brand and just like reached out and was like, Hey, I love what you're doing. And we became really good friends just through shared interests like that. And we ended up collaborating, but that Mm. one, because he was an illustrator and he had the time, we did a lot of back and forth and ideas and sort of building the design up as we went. But then in other cases, it's like, yep. Um, Like Reg Mombasa, for example, he's, you know, a busy man, busy artist Uh, When I pitched to him what I wanted to do with the artwork and why I wanted to do it, which was to raise money um, for the Climate Council and fire sticks, he was like, he loved the idea. He's like, I love it. I don't have time to create something new, but I trust you to um, create an artwork. You can use anything you want. Just, you know, run it by me. So Mm -hmm. in that case, I was like, I think I drew elements from probably about 20 or odd, probably more, 20 30 artworks and cut and pasted it together like a mad serial killer trying to write a <laughs> well no let me let me rephrase that I just meant the, the lettering on the back because I wanted it to be very much in his style and I, you know I have to be really true to the artist's aesthetic so I went through heaps of his archive posters and cut out letter by letter and you know created my own Reg Mombasa artwork with his approval um yeah, yeah it's been different for each one yeah, amazing. And um, what was I going to say around that? And so talk to me about, because you've got this sustainability. I mean, the other thing I just want to quickly say to that is I love there's so much depth to what you do, you know, and I think that's a really I was a sign of the success too. It's like it's not this, you know, it, it really is a ethical or sustainable brand all the way to its core through, you know, the the raising money and what you stand for and the people that you partner with and and that, and I think that's a, yeah, I think that's almost going to be expected of brands, right? And also it almost sells itself because it's got this authenticity that we're almost looking for as consumers now. Yeah, I, I guess there's so many brands advertising themselves as being sustainable that, like, it's pretty transparent when it's just a marketing thing, I think. Like, I don't actually advertise the brand as a sustainable brand. Like, it's that's not my angle on it I just kind Mm. of feel like if I'm going to be making stuff whether it be knitwear or you know anything really like it's my obligation as a designer to not have a negative impact Mm. um so I try to approach that in terms of like not I, I don't pump out styles I only do a few a year and that's how I keep it manageable and I only produce it I try to produce only as many as there's a need for um and I'm always trying to make the yarns more and more sustainable, which is really challenging. Um, I actually listened to your podcast with Offends the other day. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, I was really impressed with, like, how their brand has evolved and how they now have the knowledge to, like, really invest the time into the materials they use. I found that really inspiring. And uh, Wawa's still a work in progress. It's not, it's not perfect, but um, Merino wool is 
inherently pretty sustainable, renewable um, fibre. Um, so there's that. And then there's also the packaging. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I do want it to be a good sustainable product, but I don't want to be like, wow, wow it's a sustainable brand. Um, yeah. I just feel like all brands should try and be. Yeah. Do you, did you notice that difference since like your first brand, like where there has been that more consciousness around, you know, how do we do better? Well, I think it's also a reflection of like just making less, like it gives me time to get it right. When you're pumping out collections um, several a year and just trying to produce so many styles, uh, unless you've got like a sustainability officer in your team, like it's so hard mm-hmm. to to do everything in a sustainable mm-hmm. way. I wasn't, I mean, it, I wasn't having enough of an impact to for it to really um make a difference with that brand like I was using really beautiful fabrics wools and stuff but that was more a reflection of what I was trying to make the high-end garments rather than thinking about it sustainably um but yeah like while I was improving like with the packaging I'm trying to constantly improve that and um wastage and things like that but I can do that because I'm only creating a few styles a year um Mm. so it's manageable so I think if I yeah if I weren't keeping the business small in that sense, it would, it, it kind of just gets away from you, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. I, I love the offense guys too. Like <laughs> they started in a garage and now they own a hemp farm. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. I, I, I'm not that familiar with the brand, but after, after listening to everything they had to say, I was like, wow, I really need to check out what they're doing. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was really impressive. Again, it's like that other story of people who've, you know, been like, how do we do this from, you know, that's so in align with our personal values as well. Yeah. And I think that if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do anything, especially in fashion, I think it has to be from that personal values of what you love to do and that is part of the success of a brand, I would say. Yeah. I just don't think I'd sleep at night if I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. sleep terribly as it is. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know. It's so, I guess there's so many brands out there that, um at the end of the day, it's all about the profit margin, um, which that's never been a driving factor for me. It's all about being like comfortable with my decisions and feeling yeah. good about it. And so that's sort of what drives the decisions. Yeah, oh, I love that. And so th- the question I was going to ask was around, um, yeah, your funding model. So you do the mostly make to order? Uh, yeah. Sometimes, not always. Start like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, like that's partly a result of I don't have room to keep a heap of stock um and I don't want to produce more than what there's a need for so lately um as the brand's grown and I've got more confidence that I can produce say 50 100 units and they will sell I don't necessarily have to do that but if I'm doing a repeat run um it's nice to know that there's there's a need for me to do that rather than just going ahead and being having leftover stock because I don't put my garments on sale. Um, I like to think that they're sort of seasonless and therefore won't go out of, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they won't be out of season. Um, yeah, I don't really believe in discounting items because they cost what they cost. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. We had um, Laura from Nagnata on the podcast a while back and, similar brand is like if I discount it then you'll just keep buying more of what you don't need as well yeah exactly um and I mean it it is a fairly expensive product but um I think people 
I mean, especially in the last 12 months or so, I've sort of found an audience that appreciate what I'm doing and like the fibers. And that was a real learning curve because when I first started um, and I, and I launched those collaborations with the hard-ons and the meanies, uh, to be honest, their, their demographic just didn't get it. Um, there were, there were a few, but I copped so much, uh, I'm trying not to swear. Copped. You can swear. <laughs> so Straight much shit from their following being like, I think they were $240 at the time. It's like $240 yeah. for a hard-on sweater. That's like, you know, this isn't good for the legacy of the hard-ons and um, just saying it's not punk. And so <laughs> all, all the, I got so much hate mail. Um, really? The first day what did I you watched. do about that? Um, I was. I wrote to the band. I'm like, oh no, what have I done? And they were so lovely. They're like, you ruined. Nah, we get what you're doing. We we think it's awesome. Just ignore the trolls on the internet. <laughs> wow. Um, but since then, yeah, I haven't experienced that since. Um, I think maybe I'm doing a better job of like uh, describing the value in them, like the fact mm. that they're made from merino wool and that sort of thing. I'm not. I'm not sure whether it was just a a poor choice of audience or not but um mm. yeah yeah I mean if you think about it they're used to buying screen printed tees <laughs> so yeah totally so really, I mean I get it um I yeah. had a really funny comment I <laughs> don't read the comments <laughs> um, but on the the Devo when I launched the Devo one I had a yeah. little bit of that as well and uh tends to be men 50 plus I don't I don't want to profile yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to keep but, it really broad. But we did profile. <laughs> <laughs> I just did it. Um, but, the yeah, I, I caught the same sort of criticism. And because I, I advertised it as a, it's biodegradable and that's, that's a great thing. Like, you know, it's not going to last for thousands of years in landfill. But uh, the guy was like, biodegradable? Why would I want my sweater to biodegrade? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Good point. Yeah, How did yeah, you go with, um, with that, with while we're on that topic, how do you go with negative feedback? As I think a lot of creatives, you know, that's their biggest fear is they're creating something that, you know, for you it was from your childhood and, you you know, like I'm onto a good idea here. Was there any, did you ever get shaken by it or, you know, how do you process it? Um, I mean, in that first week of launching, it, it shook me a little bit, but um, I soon realised that, you know, it's very much about the market because the collaborations with illustrators, like um, I did a couple of styles with Ben Montero and and I didn't get that criticism there. Um, mm. Like there were comments like, oh, I wish I could afford it, but it was never criticising like on a, a deeply personal level or anything. Um, mm. So, But I, I've got to say for the most part, the feedback I get is like overwhelmingly positive. So you just got to uh, focus on the positive. Yeah. And I think, you know, the lessons along the way is the language that you use and showcasing the value. So it's, you know, it's all feedback that helps you to grow as a brand. Yeah. And it was really funny when I was getting that um, negative feedback. I I didn't, on the hard-ons one, I didn't want to jump on the internet and be like an internet warrior and defend myself. I sort of just let it go, but it was really nice. The band actually sort of jumped on and really defended what I was making, Mm, uh, which was really lovely. Um, so the I think of collaborations, <laughs> you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, it was almost like they were being really protective of me. <laughs> <was Yeah>. really- <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I think that the, you know, I, I guess maybe me as a consumer right now is like, you know, you're investing in a piece that will last and also knowing, you know, if you split the 200 and something over the next 50 years, like it's actually quite affordable. Bargain. <laughs> <laughs> should put your prices up. No. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, I think what you're also selling is the relationships, you know, with the artist and um, that you are getting access to and that are creating something that hasn't been done before and, you know, that may not be done in that style ever again, you know. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we as the consumer also get to buy this new creation in from the artist in a new way. You know, they've never done a jumper before. Yeah, well, I mean, especially with knitwear because it it is something, it's pretty tricky to produce well. Um, Mm -hmm. There's some pretty average merch out there that's knitted, but to produce it really well, it's not something that bands or artists generally have access to. Um, So, yeah, with working particularly with artists, um, it's another way, it's not just a way to um, showcase their artwork, but it's like it's another income stream for them as well, giving access to it in a new way um Mm. and it's like a walking billboard (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) walking advertisement um I'd love to hear your tips because I think collaborations in general are a great um you know part of all businesses and um but yeah obviously it's the core part of your business have you got any like number one tips for when you are reaching out for a collab or who to decide or how to pitch and things like that for people who might be looking to do the same, not in jumpers, but just collaborating in general. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think the collaboration has to make sense and feel authentic. Um, I, I I hope that the bands and artists that I write to realise that, you know, I truly love what they're doing and it's not just like a, a marketing move. It's mm. just me wanting to pay homage to them. But um, I guess when I approach them or any artist or band, like I try and, you know, really explain what I, be be really um, transparent about what you do and how you do it. Um, I get quite a lot of emails of people wanting to collaborate with me and I'll get emails being like, hey, want to collaborate, question mark, and that's the email. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Delete. (laughs) Um, I mean, even they might be amazing artists, but it's just very much about... um, I don't know, you've no got to research. build trust. Like, yeah, yeah it's got to be researched. You've got to build trust. And um, I try and give as much information as I can from the onset without being overwhelming because um, it can get, you know, you can you can work out the real nitty-gritty details later, but you really need to let the person know what it is they'd be signing up for. Mm. Yeah. And I think you, yeah, you want to gauge that excitement and get a buy-in and then like get the yes, really. Yeah. Um, And then you can negotiate from there, but yeah, just the amount of emails I get that just, I'm like, what, what, what makes you think I'm going to reply to this? I mean, I reply Mm. to everything. I've got this terrible (laughs) habit of being too nice by email, but um, (laughs) yeah, I just, I, I don't know why so many artists think that that would, that would work. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think the common theme that I see and hear from you is like this deep authenticity to what you do. You know, it's like you, 
and it goes through every touch point in your business from like really um, trying to decide who you collaborate with and then the process and giving back and, um, you know, the manufacturing process as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think about and labor over these decisions sometimes for years before I actually <laughs> put it into practice. Like, for instance, like the Sonic Youth one that that was about four years in the making. Um, mm. <laughs> and by that, if I still want to really produce that style four years later, like I know I'm doing the right thing. Like it's not mm. just a quick passing idea. Because I mean, just the process of sampling and designing and creating knitwear, it's really slow. It's not like screen printing on a t-shirt um just it's very laborious um Mm. so I do I mull over things so much um (laughs) I mean every now and then like someone will get in touch and straight away I'll be like yes that's a great idea let's let's move on it but um yeah yeah, I'm pretty pretty slow moving (laughs) (laughs) I'm nothing wrong with that I think um is that was that has there been any times where you know you've had some real setbacks with like you know the design pro like the the knitting or the the manufacturing and you know where there's you know lessons learned from the production side of things I guess I was lucky in that I'd had some experience with production when going before going into knitwear Mm. so I'd made the mistakes in the previous brand um so that was a good learning lesson um Mm. But yeah, it's it's all gone pretty smoothly, luckily. Um, and I've got a like I'm I've got a good eye for detail, and um, because it costs like the investment in knitwear, it's quite a lot because the garments are expensive, and you have to produce a lot of them. The minimums mm-hmm. are quite high, more so than other garments generally. Um, so you just have to be really pedantic with all the details and communicating with the manufacturers beforehand um and I think yeah definitely having done a bit of that with my previous brand sort of gave me the confidence to not make a total mess of that Mm. so so far no disasters (laughs) great news I think it's um yeah that going slow and taking your time because you can actually and produce something that you know is going to stand the test of time and you know people get it and love it because it's you know been well thought out rather than rushing that process and, you know, potentially producing something that isn't as quality as you expected. Yeah. And, like, I, this is something when I was teaching I always told my my students, I'm like, just better to do one thing really well than 10, 20, 100 things mediocre. Mm. Is, well, that's that's what works for me. Um, it just yeah, I love that. makes more sense. Yeah, for sure. Especially, like, you, I read... You you know you do it yourself and it's just you in your, your apartment in Sydney yeah. doing it all. Um, how how's that going? Is that like strategically you like to keep it small and how do you manage your time and you know all the different moving parts of a small business? Um, I do like I'm probably not the best like person to give business advice because I'm I'm wary of growing <laughs> the business. Yeah. Um, like I want to I guess. I think I'm a bit of a control freak in that I want it not a control freak in that I want to control every aspect or other people. Just like, I just want it to be 
to not spiral. Mm. <laughs> I, I want it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I'm think you maintain your quality, right? Like, yeah, you you're maintaining your the brand values. You know, if it, if it gets yeah. too quickly, then you know mistakes happens or compromises need to happen or yeah, you know, you exactly. Lose control, and I, which is so I fine. Think I I mean I've always liked working for myself, just the flexibility of that. But you know, on the flip side everything comes down to you um, or responsibility falls on you. But, um, the, I mean, I was strategic when starting Wawa because I just knew I didn't want to be stressed by it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have fun. And if it's not fun anymore, then I need to stop and reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into it, like every aspect of the business has kind of been designed with that in mind, um, keeping it manageable but scalable. Mm. Um, and I'm sort of at a point now that I need to figure out ways of either get better at streamlining processes or get some help in, but, Mm. um, yeah, I, I do like that flexibility. Um, I've, I've never had a nine to five job. Um, like I'm, I am reliable, but I just like the thought of that makes me anxious. (laughs) Mm. Were you the kid in the art room at lunchtime at school? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, probably more the music room. A bit of both. I hate to stereotype, but there's like it's definitely like that really deep creativity in you. There. Yeah, maybe. But I'm also, I don't know, I'm I'm very practical, um, yeah. which is why, like, I think, you know, when I was in high school, like, I loved the idea of living the artist lifestyle. But I think deep down I knew I'm way too, like, pragmatic and practical mm. and, yeah, I probably have yeah. more of that side in me than the creative side. Oh, it's a great combo because it means, yeah, I think a lot of creatives find it hard to bring in that pragmatic side and get their ideas off the ground. and Which is a them. great case for pairing up with someone else, but I, I think um, that, that complements those skills. But I think I've been lucky that I've been able to manage both until now mm. and hopefully yeah. for a while longer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like I run my business the same in a lot of senses of like, I I have hired people down the like in the past and I just didn't like the idea of having to go to an office and tell someone what to do like I prefer to work with people in collaborations or you know um contract kind of basis yeah that sits with um, me much better and I think yeah I mean also it's like it's only in the last year that this has been my main thing um yeah. I actually took a break for a while because I couldn't find the right manufacturers. So rather than push forward with it, I stopped and uh, probably for about a year and a half, I didn't produce any new styles. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's only really been since probably mid last year that I've been able to focus on this solely. Um, yeah. But having full-time employees, that's a whole other stress and responsibility. Like <laughs> you have to pay them. Yeah. <laughs> you miss out, not them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I guess I'm just not up to that stage yet. But I kind of like the idea of um, just, yeah, like I said, streamlining things uh, rather than hiring more employees yeah. because it, it is such a personal project. It is, it, it's not really like a, a clothing brand. I don't know. It's more like a curation of everything I love. And um, if I was to grow, it might mean losing that a little bit. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's part of my hesitation. Yeah, no, it's great. I love it. I think we live in a world now where, you know, there's no one business model. It's like there's so many different 
ways that you can, you know, get a product to market and manage a, bi- a business. It's like, yeah, the, it's a creative industries that, yeah, I don't think you have to have an office and especially since COVID, right? It's like you're not expected to have an office and a shop front and all of these things. Like you can yeah. run it from your apartment. I've always, you know, run Wawa from home. Um, mm. I, I didn't need a separate space, but I love the. I mean, there might be a time in my life where I need to like separate it a bit, um, but I love that I can just make up my own hours and a large, I mean, this is getting a bit deep, but Mm. a large part of um, why I've always wanted to work for myself is like I've um, suffered from insomnia my entire life Um, Mm. and it's actually been under control the last couple of years, but um, the thought of having to go to a nine to five job, that was the main reason that I never wanted that. Like um, it was really dictating my life, but sort of shaped it. I don't know. I'm glad it did in a way because it pushed me into having my own business, which is something I always wanted um, just so I could have that flexibility. But um, yeah, it was largely for that reason. Yeah. And now you're you're moving into another exciting stage of your life. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we're gonna have a baby baby wawa's on the way yeah baby wawa coming very soon dropping very soon um, you drop yeah <laughs> so that's gonna be interesting to see how I can juggle it all because in my mind you know when I first fell pregnant I was like well now's the time to get in some help but you know we're in a LGA of concern so mm. um, I can't get anyone physically to come and help uh, which is where I would have gotten help just with packaging and sending things like that um, but I'm considering other ways I can get a bit of help maybe with social media things yeah. like that where yeah I can outsource a little bit but I also this is again part of the business plan has always been I don't want to wholesale because it's stressful like if yeah. you don't deliver on time or if something goes wrong you've got so many people to answer to I just I just don't like answering to people I think <laughs> um but that's meant like if I need to take a break for a few months that's okay I can I can do that um I can sort of shape the business to my needs mm-hmm. um yeah, sort of just scale back for a little bit, but I am dropping a new style around the same time as dropping a baby. So that, that's going to be interesting. Um, Nothing's changed, dropping the first range route to go overseas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a big one too. Well, I'm, I'm saying it's big wow. one. I'm excited by it. <laughs> top secret? When, when, yeah, you, top secret. when are you announcing? Um, when, <laughs> when the artist I'm collaborating with um, manages to get back to me with some photos <laughs> yeah that was How vague exciting. yeah it'll make no, sense no. yeah no, no, no. you be vague it's all part of the marketing strategy yeah <laughs> thank you so much for all of your wisdom and sharing your story and yeah giving us a little insight into where it came from I, I love what you stand for and how you run the business and I love your jumpers and yeah it's such oh, a vibe thanks, <laughs> Thank you. so weird saying Kayleen to someone else I know Thank you. So <laughs> it's been really nice just to stop and like sort of think about the reasoning behind doing things because you don't tend to do yeah. that you just sort of keep running without sort of considering yeah. that the choices maybe were conscious <laughs> yeah and how far you've come too you know like and will continue to go, I have no doubt. But maybe oh. to finish this off, you could, what would your number one tip be for someone looking to start their own label? If it was a fashion label, um, mm-hmm. my number one tip would be 
unless you're excited about it, you can't expect other people to be excited about it. Mm, that's really good. I like that. I really also my take home tip would be you you're not doing you don't want to create a business to create stress. Like you don't want your business to be stressful. I oh, that's a better that. one. I wish I thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that on board because I think, um, yeah, it's that reminder where you start taking on too much. You're like, hang on a second. This is not why I started. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I have your own business if you can't make it exactly what you want. Yeah, 100%. And that's, I think we're, un- we're undoing that conditioning that it's meant to be stressful, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It still is some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> there will be stress, but there's certain stresses that are healthy for the growth and stresses that are unnecessary. Exactly. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Happy Friday afternoon. Thanks, Kayleen. Same to you. Good to see you. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.